if you're a, an employer and you haven't had a series of meetings regularly talking and evaluating how your remote you know system is then i think you're missing a tremendous opportunity and you're missing a whole bunch of stuff good morning hr I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. According to PwC, a little over half of U.S. employees are working hybrid or fully remote. And as we talk about frequently here on Good Morning HR, many employers are still figuring out the nuances to make remote work work. And a lack of nuance often leads to litigation. Joining me today to discuss litigation avoidance in remote workplaces is Alan G. Crone. Alan is the founder and CEO of Memphis-based Crone Law Firm, an employment law team committed to helping employees, executives, and entrepreneurs resolve workplace disputes. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Alan. Thank you very much, Mike. I really enjoy being here. We're three years into the work-from-home era, and it has a lot of advantages, and employees certainly like it. What kinds of workplace litigation are you seeing coming out of the remote environment? Well, probably the the quickest has been uh, wage and hour disputes where you may have unpaid overtime or allegations of minimum wage violations uh, resulting from a remote workforce. Like a lot of these issues, and I like a lot of HR issues in general, it, they generally come from a lack of, of good communication on the front end about the type of compensable work and, and that sort of thing. A question, uh, a variation of a question that I've been getting a lot lately, I, I don't know, I haven't had any litigation on it, but I think it uh, litigation may be coming down the pike on it, is use of personal time while working remotely and the uh, confluence of having a child at home that may be sick, maybe a child is homesick, and uh, should that person take PTO or can they work from home and be uh you know, be productive. Lots of issues like that, that the remote environment, nobody really has anticipated. And there's no real good answer to that, to that question. A lot of different employers are doing different things. Yeah. And I think that's, I'm, I'm seeing that even in my own team, we went remote in March of 2020 and I sold my office building last year. It's just, you know, it's, I, if, I think I'd have a revolt if I tried to start making people drive 45 minutes or so, in some cases longer, uh, around, you know, back and forth every day. Uh, and it's worked great. I mean, we, I've got an amazing team, but I do have a lot of young parents in, in my, my team. And, you know, we've worked it out. I, and most of my employees are non-salaried, but we've just worked it out where you take care of your time, you take care of your kid first, and you manage your time and you clock in and out and it's all electronic. And we've got good tracking. I think that's probably in those wage and hour issues you're dealing with is, is, is probably a lot of circumstances where you've got hourly employees who aren't tracking their time very effectively or the employers are intruding on personal time just for one quick thing and not getting clocked in. Is that what you're seeing? 
Yeah, there's uh, a number of variations on that theme. Uh, a lot of it really, the violations really come where there aren't clear guidelines at the, the start of the relationship on exactly how to handle all of those things. And some jobs uh, lend themselves to uh, that sort of accountability more than others. And, you know, if you're using a lot of computer time, then that can sign, kind of uh, uh, be tracked in, in uh, you know, in arrears, if you will. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, the, the issue is, you know, how much from an employer standpoint, they're worried about uh, how often am I paying for the, what I call the dryer rotation, you know, doing all of that and taking care of kids and, and all of that. And so it's a matter of trust as much as anything else. But I think employers and employees need to have uh, really frank conversations, detailed conversations with, with lots of follow-up questions to make sure everybody understands um, a policy that's pretty straightforward in the office, but may have some uh, lots of lines of gray when you're working remotely. And, you know, employees definitely expect employers to be understanding, oh, I just got, I really have to clock out. I just got up to, you know, move the clothes from the washing machine to the dryer. And it was, you know, maybe four or five minutes. But then again, I did it six times today. And so now I'm talking about, you know, closer to an hour. But then on the flip side, the employer is definitely going to be on the hook for making sure they pay for every minute that employee pays for. And that's, you know, there's not a lot of penalties for an employee who, you know, pads a, a time clock a little bit. Uh, legally anyway, and but there certainly are for an employer who shaves that time off a of time clock. Well, I think that's why it's important to have good metrics uh, for accountability purposes. For an employee's protection, say, look, you know, I, I I made all my metrics. I made the 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 10 sales calls I'm supposed to make, or I did this many, uh, I made this many widgets, or I reviewed this, these, you know, whatever the number of reports are. I think where you get into trouble is where an employer really hasn't articulated what the workload is, hasn't set up some KPIs to measure it. Right. And then it becomes a subjective, well, you know, I don't think you're working very hard and, and nobody has any real numbers to, you know, to point to. Yeah. Early in the, the pandemic, um, you know, I started hearing from our client, our you know, HR clients and, you know, what are we going to do? All my employees are remote. And my position from day one was those employers who already had good performance management processes in place and they could actually had metrics and they could see that, you know, we were being productive and we were meeting our goals. They weren't going to have the problem that employers whose idea of management was management by walking around or, you know, showing up and they were looking, you know, let me look over your shoulder and see what you're doing today. And as long as you look busy, we're okay. Those are the ones that are going to have a real hard time with remote work. And in my experience over three years now has been that that's pretty much what's happened. You're exactly right. And, and you know, I had a judge, uh, this was 20 years ago, just as uh, the electronic discovery uh, started to bloom, right? And so right. there were all these, these, uh, these discovery motions based on, you know, emails and electronics. And, and he said, he's kind of stopped everything. And he said, you know what I've learned to do? is I just, in my mind, turn all of this into paper. And I rule the way I would have ruled if we were talking about boxes and boxes of paper. And I think that's still the case now. You know, I have clients call me all the time with scenarios and I say, well, okay, well, what would you do if they were sitting in your office? 
most of the time, that answer is going to be the same, whether they're sitting uh, 10 feet from you or 10 miles from you. And if you don't really know what they're doing to begin with, the fact that they're remote isn't going to change that. It's just going to exacerbate it. And well, let's talk about bad behavior. You know, um, are you seeing any uptick or just different approaches for, you know, ways that people are acting poorly in the remote workplace than in, in person? I, I think there's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, there's this, this current trend of quiet quitting. Yeah. And, you know, when I was coming up, we called that phoning it in. Right. You know, it's really basically the same thing. Right. And I think that has gotten more prevalent because it's easier to do. Particularly, again, if, if you don't have really strong metrics or a lot of accountability, I think that's a lot easier to do. And I, so I think, you know, it's a lot easier to multitask, you know, to turn a meeting on, turn your camera off and do other things. Uh, and I think if you're inclined to do that before, now you're really inclined to do it. And if you weren't, you don't. So I think, again, it goes back to making sure you've got good team members that are committed to the mission of your company and aren't just looking to get a paycheck. And when you do have folks like that, then, you know, I think you've got to, uh, you got to do a little bit more to make sure they, they stay engaged. And I think that's where a lot of communication is really, really important. You know, if everybody is working remote, but in the same town, then, you know, maybe you want to have a coffee break at a Starbucks or have lunch all together one day a month or whatever it is, just to make sure that you're keeping that glue and that culture together. Uh, I don't really see any different kind of behavior. It's just now people are adapting their bad behavior to the circumstances that they're in. Um, from a lawyer, it's great. Uh, from a law- legal standpoint, it's great because now instead of having a conversation between a harasser and a victim, I may have all of the texts, right. you know, or emails, but that behavior isn't, uh, hasn't changed in nature. It's just kind of changed in delivery, if that makes sense. You know, and I think that's one of the things you mentioned there, the text. When we're talking to people, we've seen it with social media for years, right? People will write in text, you know, put something in text that they would never say to somebody face to face. And anecdotally, I've, I've heard from clients who've had some of those issues. People begin to treat their in, you know, their in office remote work chat, you know, over Zoom or whatever their teams or whatever they're using, more like they use social media and, and say things in a way sometimes that either fall flat or, or misinterpreted or are just rude and, and not what we would want in the workplace, you know, but we, it seems easier when we're not looking at somebody face to face. I've always said, if the law thing doesn't work for me, uh, I, I may become a, uh, a college professor. And one thing that I would really love to study anthropologic and socially <laughs> is the dynamic of sending an email is so much different than calling you on the phone or even sending a letter and it really is a is a ineffective way of communicating, and I think it really has done an interesting number on on litigation because I use emails a lot in cross examining people, and I I really don't think a lot of times they intended what it says, right? 
but it, but they don't know how to get away from what it says. It's just an interesting dynamic, and I think I think texting is its own beast as well, and people text differently. But you're absolutely right. The distance, even the distance of a Zoom meeting, I think makes a different dynamic, interpersonal dynamic between people than if they were sitting in the same room. People will say th- things differently. They will either hold back sometimes or overshare. Uh, depending upon how they approach uh, how they uh, approach the distance that Zoom provides. Yeah, when you're sitting on a Zoom call in a you know maybe a jacket and a, a shirt on up top and pajamas on the bottom, it may, you know the workplace mullet. Uh, you know it may be that we have a hard time realizing you know, maybe we're too relaxed and and it's easy to step into it. When an employer sees somebody oversharing or maybe being a little too casual over that Zoom, how would you suggest that they they approach that? Because, you know, now we're talking about people's behavior and that that always gets to be sensitive uh, and, and their behavior in their house and how comfortable they are. Uh, how would you suggest that an employer kind of address those things? Well, there's an old proverb that says, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago or today. Mm-hmm. And I think the 20 years ago answer is you've got to have a culture where it doesn't matter where the people are working. You've got to have boundaries. You've got to have expectations and training where uh, you don't have to worry about those things. If you've got somebody who's countercultural to your, your organization at home, I would respond to it the same way if they walked into the door that way and say, look, we love that you're working from home and remote and whatever benefits you're getting from that. But look, when you're working, here's what here's the way you got to be. I can't have you getting on a Zoom call, you know, with a golf shirt on. If that's right. if that's the issue. Or I can't have you looking like you just woke up and rolled out of bed. I can't have you taking a meeting in bed. I've seen that. <laughs> you know, people taking a business meeting in bed. And yeah, the whole remote working thing we have kind of loosened up a bit as a society. You know, before you wouldn't get on a Zoom call or anything like that unless you were all put together. And if, you know, your your daughter or, uh, a, you know, a pet or whatever came in the room, you'd be mortified. Now we're all a little bit, we're all over that. We've all had that right. happen to us. Uh, but that still doesn't mean that you can't set boundaries. And working from home doesn't mean that it's the Wild West and I get to do whatever I want to do. So I think you got to start that during the recruitment process, during the hiring and the onboarding, you need to, to communicate all of that. And then the right now, the planting the tree today means if you haven't done that, then you need to do it. And you need to have frank conversations with people and say, these are my expectations. And the time to do that is before it actually happens. Right. And then if it does happen, I've, again, I've, I've kind of famously said one of my, one of the things I preach is there's good confrontation. You know, the American manager doesn't know how to confront people. And, you know, you, they're either way too aggressive or they never confront anybody. Right. And and so you've got to say, look, you know, you're on that Zoom call yesterday and that's not the way we do things here. And, you know, here's what, what I need you to do. But you need to be specific. You can't just say, look, you got to look better. Right. What does that mean? But, it, but if... If you have a dress code, then say, okay, here's our dress code. We're going to be on a Zoom call with a with a with a client. I need you to have a dress shirt on and a jacket or whatever, whatever is appropriate for your industry. 
And most people are, are hip to that scene. If you're, if you're straightforward with them and they understand why you're doing it and it doesn't look like you're singling them out, I think they're hip to the scene. But I, I also do think that it ain't your father's workplace anymore. The things that would have flown or wouldn't have flown 10, even five years ago, yeah. uh, we've loosened up a lot. Yeah, you know, I started my career in college uh, in aerospace as an intern, and a lot of my peers in aerospace, my other intern friends, uh, were able to wear khakis to work, even you know, in the '80s, as long as they had a shirt and tie on. My boss considered any any pair of pants where you had an external seam jeans, and so I had to wear slacks to work every day, you know, for uh, for that. Try to do that with today's workforce. And uh, yeah, you know it's going to be good luck. Uh, it's uh, so things have things have changed. But let's talk about some of the the things that often surprise employers, and it's often gotten so far that we're at litigation before an employer even, is even aware of it. Like things like sexual harassment and just outright discrimination. Are you seeing those show up in remote environments and in any of the conversations you're having with your prospective clients? Oh, absolutely. Again, it just has kind of shifted to different media, if you will. We're seeing a lot more, as I say, sexual harassment by uh, by text or via um, via social media. Mm-hmm. I think that when you're working remote now, things that may not have been issues before because they were outside the workplace. Uh, and the employer really didn't control them. Now there's a, you know, if somebody sends you, uh, interacts with you at social media at seven o'clock at night, that may be a work-related issue. Whereas five years ago, if you were at a bar, it wouldn't have been a work-related issue. Uh, so I think that the 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 lines, the boundaries are 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 moving and, and shifting. And you know, I think again, uh, remote working has changed. Uh, what what is and what is not a reasonable accommodation, you know, forever. The idea, of, you know, telecommuting, that was the, right. the, the, the phrase back, you know, it, that's not a reasonable accommodation. You know, you, you got to be here in the office. Well, now I've had a couple of cases where remote working was the reasonable accommodation that was being asked for. And some old school lawyers were, were telling me, oh, well, you know, that's a non-starter. And I said, look, where have you been the last three years? Right. This is now not a big deal. Like it We've was proven when, we can do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just not a, a hardship, uh, depending upon the job, obviously. Right. I you mean, can't have a, you jobs. can't have a plumber work from home, but that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Although I bet we'll get there. Yeah. He'll just control the drone and the robot. Yeah. And yeah. 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 You just never know. So I, you know, those, those are the kinds of issues. They're just, there's just not much new under the sun. Mike. Right. You know, I mean, there are people who, who, you know, want to try to game the system, no matter what the system is. You have uh, employers who, you know, they really aren't interested in anything that is innovative, whether it's accommodating a disability or uh, disciplining somebody who tells a joke or whatever. Again, it goes back to culture and it goes back to uh, to having good accountability. And I think the what remote working does is that it rewards the companies that, as you say, really have their metrics down and also have a good um, a good accountability structure, whatever's a- appropriate for them. And not everything is going to be appropriate for everybody. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative. 
premium background checks with fast and friendly service. This week, I want to take a minute to discuss employment verifications. When I speak at HR conferences or read posts online, I'm often surprised by how many employers don't bother verifying job candidates' previous or current employment claims. Eh, the previous employers don't tell us anything, so why bother? Well, here's a story that illustrates why employers should make that effort. Roy Holden Jr. was hired by the national cable TV and internet provider, Charter Spectrum, after his background check came back clear. Charter Spectrum sent him to the home of an 83-year-old customer to fix her internet. Then he returned the next day in his charter uniform, driving his charter van to rob her, and he ultimately murdered her in her own home. Holden is now serving life in prison for the murder. The woman's family sued Charter Spectrum, claiming that they failed to conduct the basic due diligence of attempting to verify his previous employment, according to court testimony. Had Charter Spectrum contacted previous employers, they may have learned that Holden had been fired from previous employment for misconduct and forgery. Maybe those previous employers wouldn't have told Charter Spectrum anything, but we'll never know that because Charter Spectrum, according to testimony, didn't even reach out to them. So last fall, a jury in Dallas found Charter Spectrum guilty of gross negligence in the woman's murder and ordered Charter Spectrum to pay the woman's family more than seven billion dollars. At Imperative, we see more people lying about their education and employment history than their criminal history. And it is the gospel according to coffee, commandment number one, if they lie to you coming in the door, it isn't reasonable to expect their behavior to change after you hire them. The whole point of the background check is to verify the accuracy of the information the applicants provided. Failure to do that may lead to loss, litigation, and liability. You can get more information about how Imperative helps risk-averse employers make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or a SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Recert Credits. Then select episode 104 and enter the keyword remote. That's R-E-M-O-T-E. And now back to my conversation with Alan Crone. So when we're all in an office together, if there's bad behavior from a manager or a peer, you know, sexual harassment or or just things that are said that shouldn't and, and come across discriminatory, somebody could kind of casually walk over to HR and just kind of you know, bring it up and have a chat about it. And then HR would hopefully go do the right thing and and start their investigation. I think when we're remote, employees are less prone to do that or even to know how to do that. What, what, if I'm designing my workplace, you know, my early warning system for, you know, that kind of thing in in a remote workplace, what ought I be considering thinking about as far as how to make sure that we get those early notices and, and, you know, the, we get opportunity to, correct the situation before we get into litigation? I, I think you want to have good training and you want to have good outreach to to everybody about these issues and make sure everybody knows where the boundaries are and make sure they know how to communicate with HR or who or whoever about it. You know, you can still have telephone, you know, instead of walking down the hall, you pick up the phone and, and have that conversation with HR, um, emails, 
or, or st- in fact, that's a better way for the employee to do it because then you've got a written record. Right. And we're going to ask them to reduce it to writing anyway. I mean, that's right. the first thing I would always do. So. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think just making sure people know what those avenues are and uh, don't assume that they know. Oh, well, they know they can call HR. Well, you know, they may not have thought about it. And and uh, when you when you tell them, it's, oh, yeah, of course I can call Betty and HR. That's that's easy to do. It, it's it's not ignoring it and not treating the remote folks as less than or more than people right. that are working uh, in the office and make sure they know, uh, you know, what what to do. And I, I think if if you're a, an employer and you haven't had a series of meetings regularly talking and evaluating how your remote, you know, system is, then I think you're missing a tremendous opportunity and you're missing a whole bunch of stuff. Because again, this, as you know, this is working remote isn't what it was a year ago. Right. It's, it's completely different. And as we get more technologically advanced, it's going to get even, it's going to even get more, uh, even get more different if that's the correct way of saying that. So I think you can't just put out a policy and say, okay, five years from now, we'll go back and look at it. I think you got to look at it once a quarter at least. How is this working? What are the problems? Because um, at the where the rubber meets the road and your service gets provided or your your good gets sold or whatever, there's all kinds of things going. If you're a top-level manager that you have no idea is going on, and unless you look at it and provide an atmosphere for people to be frank and candid about the problems, then you're never going to know. And then all of a sudden, you're you're getting a, an envelope from a plaintiff's lawyer that that you've got a problem that you just you had no idea was was bubbling, or even short of that, and and just as painful, you lose a good employee because you know they move on and don't you know they never raise the red flag. You don't really know they're not, they don't show up for their yeah you know, it's uh, for their exit interview. So you I mean you just don't you know they get an email I'm leaving on this date bye. And you've lost a great employee, and you really don't know why. And and that ought to be a red flag for HR too, if that starts to happen. But let's say we get that that heads up, and uh, we we have to do an investigation remotely. You know, let's say, you know, I'm here in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, you know, the complainant, you know, is in Birmingham, Alabama, and you know, the uh, the alleged offender is is someplace else altogether. So we're going to have to do this via Zoom uh, or whatever we're using. Any uh, any tips on how to conduct an effective investigation? I mean, I, I can tell you uh, I did a, about a 60-hour investigation last fall for a client. And other than traveling to meet with the complainant and make sure that they felt heard and that it was that this is how important we're taking it, all the rest of the investigation was over Zoom and uh and telephone i would have never done that five years ago i would have gone out of my way to make sure we did it all in 100 in person um but it would have been a lot more 60 hours billing too what would you say you know how what if you were looking at things in a, in a remote environment investigation what would you suggest an employer consider well i guess it depends on the type of investigation uh i'm i'm a big believer in showing up and it, you know, not every investigation uh, can cost justify a lot of travel. But I agree with you. I think I think you want to go and have that that uh, initial discussion with the complainant in person if you if you can. 
because you've got to build some trust with them. As you say, they, they need to feel heard. That's the biggest issue I hear from people is, well, you know, HR came and talked to me and I never heard from them again. And, you know, it may have been appropriate not to share the details of the investigation with the person, but, I, you know, I think it doesn't really hurt you to pick up the phone and say, hey, look, you know, we've concluded our investigation. Here's what we found. Right. I think we we have a lot more secrecy than than we should sometimes I agree. as HR professionals. And so that's the first thing. And the second thing is, again, I think I would probably have shorter, more frequent interactions with witnesses uh, than, you know, trying to have a four hour uh, Zoom hearing to go over everything. You know, I think people get fatigued uh, on Zoom, you know, and I might also have a couple of people involved. Uh, one thing that's hard to do on Zoom is really watch, you know, facial expressions, body language, that sort of thing. And and so I'd have somebody in the room to kind of help me do that because sometimes, you know, even in person, you want that because you want to, how did, when I asked that question about, you know, the potted plant, what did, it, uh, what did she do? Well, right. she looked surprised about the potted plant. Oh, surprised about the plant. So, you know, I, I again, I think that that's, that's uh, all important and really un- knowing how to use screen sharing and having that ready to go is a an art that I think a lot of people don't really rehearse enough right. because it, it ruins the flow of it. The other nice thing about it is you can hit that record button right. and it, it, it helps you get a better uh, recording. You, you're going to... Uh, it's going to be a lot more awkward to do that in, I mean, it's more intimidating to have, you know, a camcorder in a conference room than it is to, you know, just hit got it on Zoom when it says recording in progress. Right. Well, we're used to that. So I think you take advantage of as much of the technology as you as you can without without losing that, that human touch. Again, I thought during the pandemic that uh, I, I just, I, I said, I just don't see how, uh, important depositions can be taken uh, over Zoom. I don't see how a mediation can be done uh, over Zoom. And I'm here to tell you, 99% of the time, Zoom works just fine. So I, again, I don't think you approach it any differently than you would in person. Take advantage of the technology, but also understand the limitations. And I think trying to extend a Zoom um, question and answer session, uh, I think sometimes that can be a mistake. Yeah, you were talking about those recordings. It was always such a big debate, you know, on in-person interviews. Do you record or don't you? And I've always been a big advocate for recording, uh, never surreptitiously, because I, when, especially on the employer side, because that looks horrible if you ever have to produce it as evidence and the plaintiffs come, come at you and say, oh, well, you, you know, you were sneaking around even as you did the investigation. You weren't being completely forthright. And, but I've never had a witness say, no, don't record. And so just asking and explaining why, and I want to make sure we get everything right. And my notes are not going to be as good, you know, as going back and listening. But now, you know, nobody even thinks about recording, you know, oh yeah, okay. I have to remind myself to turn it off on, on, on things that aren't relevant. And now you've, especially with video, I mean, if I ever, God forbid, you ever get into a situation where you've got uh, litigation, you know, you can if you if you've done if you don't have anything to fear and you've done a good investigation and you've been fair, you've got you know Exhibit A right here uh, that this is that person's responses or how the questions I asked. There wasn't anything coercive or threatening or you know in in the way I did it. Yeah, people always ask me, well, should I 
should I record? I'm, you know, my, my boss wants to see me. Should I record it? And I always say, you know, it's my experience that my client's recollection of the meeting is always better than any recording. But I said, if you're going to record it, even in a state where it's legal to, to record it, the other side of that is it's the other side's always going to call it your secret recording. When right. you secretly recorded my client. And I said, what you want to know is you want to find out what, what this fellow is going to say on the record. Right. And, and so turn your recorder on, put it on the table and say, do you mind if I record this meeting? There's no bad answer to that question. Because if he says, turn that off, I don't want my recorded. You turn it off. That's, that's better than anything that can happen. Or if he says, sure, that's fine. Then, you know, everybody knows what's going on and nobody can criticize you for uh, recording. So we, we do our investigation and we get to the point where, well, we decided we've got to terminate this person for their bad behavior. And, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff with the tech industry and, you know, these massive rifts over uh, Zoom or via email even. But what about, you know, where you've got a, a single individual that you need to term for either performance or bad behavior? And uh, what's your feeling about with rem- in the remote environment about letting somebody go uh, via Zoom or electronically? I think if that's the way they have interacted with the company throughout the course of their employment or at the time of their termination, I, I don't have a I, – I, and I've thought about this long and hard – I think that's appropriate because um, the alternative is say, I need you to come into the office right. or I'm going to come to your house. That just feels wrong to me. So uh, now if it's somebody that has been in the office, they've never been remote. Uh, I think it's the same as call, uh, firing somebody by text or firing somebody over the phone. I think then you want to fire them where they, where they work. Although having said that, I will say the only reason to do that is to show them some respect. But really, that conversation for both sides should be short and sweet anyway. Sure. And and so on 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 some levels, I really don't have a problem with calling somebody up and saying, you know, your, your services are no longer needed. But I think even today it's still considered rude to do that unless that's been what you uh what your experience has been. And the, the biggest ticklish item then, of course, is is getting any company property back. Right. And and that becomes ticklish, I think, uh, particularly depending on, upon uh, what it is. And there are all kinds of strategies for that. Well, and there are a lot of employers I'm still talking to who sent people home with technology way back in 2020, and they've replaced the technology, but they don't have a good inventory system. So they're not even sure what the person necessarily has. And and uh, I think that's that's really key. And having written understandings that, you know, you're going to return this equipment and, uh, you know, uh, and also understanding the payday laws in whatever state you're in. Uh, you know, if you give somebody two weeks to return equipment, but the payday law says they've got to be cut, you've got to cut that check within three business days, then you're not going to be able to, you know, hold hold that, you know, the cost of that equipment out of their check. So, a lot of those jurisdictions will allow you to make a what make an agreement right on the front end different than that. And so, it's good to know if you're going to have a a lend lease program uh, where you're sending stuff home, then you ought to have a return policy that everybody knows about and 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 whatnot. But but you're absolutely right. You got to have a good inventory. And, and you've got to have a good electronic policy that, again, clearly delineates 
what what devices they can use for business, what devices they should use personally, email accounts, all of those things. Because you know, people get used to you know they get a company provided cell phone, and you know the company probably doesn't have a problem with you using it personally. I think that's what most people are accustomed to doing. But once you start getting the company's intellectual property on that device, making sure that you return it in a way that isn't suspicious is really important. And a company needs to think through those things before they decide what kind of equipment they're going to let people have and whether it makes sense, you know, to somehow build into the cost of everything. Let's just assume we don't get any of those electronics back if, as long as you're not leaving a lot of intellectual property out in the, uh, in the open. Especially with employees who are not local to you, the cost of returning it is often more than equipment is worth, you know, especially, you know, so, but you need to have access to that laptop to wipe it remotely or whatever else you need to do to make sure that it's clean, but it may not be worth, you know, a three-year-old laptop and a couple computer monitors may cost you a hundred and $150 to ship someplace and they may not even be worth it. So just doing the math. And saying, and I tell you what, you keep the computer that you never know that might prevent a lawsuit. Sure. Because, well, you know, he let me keep the computer. And and that may that may say, you know, I, I thought the whole thing was kind of smelled, but, hey, you know, okay, I get to keep my computer. I'm happy with that. You just never know with people. And sometimes, hey, we need to get that computer back. It's like, wow, you know, would have hurt him to let me keep the computer. And like you say, at the end of the day, how much is it worth? You probably get it back and, and trash it because you're not going to give a new employee a three-year-old computer. Right. And a little goodwill goes a long way when it comes to litigation. It's And, you know, something you said earlier is explaining, you know, the ins and outs of, you know, why we made the decisions we made. Uh, I think you're right. Employers are often, I think because they're, they're plaintiff's counsel, uh, or it's usually not their own plaintiff's counsel. It's when they go to HR conferences and they talk to, and they hear plaintiff's attorneys or uh, or labor law inter- attorneys uh, speaking at conferences. And, and those, by definition, they're speaking very conservatively because they don't want to give somebody in the audience the rope to go hang themselves with. So that, you know, it's, um, I think there's, I think there's a lot of good reasons though to talk about, to, to share real reasons for details about termination. And here's what we found in the investigation. This is what we based our com- our decisions on. Here's, you know, I, I'm a big believer in sharing Get, you know, making sure that they understand because it's when they don't understand that they think something was unfair. And that's when they go talk to a plaintiff's lawyer. That's right. Well, thank you for joining me today. That was a, a great conversation, Alan. Well, I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you, as always, to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. Please don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.